Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. So the summer Bonnie and I got married, uh, I was actually a lifeguard at a summer camp, and Bonnie worked as a cook in the same summer camp. It's like the, it's, it's a great plot line to like a romantic comedy, right? Like, uh, we, it was, it was, uh, so we, we worked at this summer camp together. We actually lived in the boathouse of all places. That was our first home together. Um, and each week we'd have different camps come through. And so one week we had a camp come in um, for kids who had hemophilia. So it was, a, it was a hemophilia camp. And if you don't know what hemophilia is, it's this uh, blood disorder that keeps your blood from clotting. It's actually a pretty serious thing. And uh, while we were having a great week, uh, there was one night where a kid went missing. There was this kid, Parker, who just went missing. And this camp that we're in is 160 acres. And so he could literally be anywhere. And so as dusk started to approach, um, people started to gather in our cafeteria, and it just became like an FBI headquarters. We had maps out, lanterns. Uh, there was, a, there was a, almost a panic in the room, like we have to find this kid, Parker. We have to find him. And so the camp director broke us out into different teams, and I was supposed to go to the lake at night and search the perimeter of the lake for this kid. And so I took with me a walkie-talkie, a lantern, and a whistle, and, and I walked around the perimeter of the lake at night, couldn't find him. And so it was getting later and later, and we were getting more and more worried. And so um, the next thing I had to do was actually get into the boat and go look in the water and see if maybe he was in the water. I was really afraid to do this, but fortunately, praise God, uh, at that moment, I was about to get in the boat, and on the walkie-talkie came through, it's okay, we found him. Whew! And so I rejoiced my way back to the building. There was instant relief in finding this kid. But when I got back, I noticed that people weren't exactly excited. People were actually kind of angry. And it's because this kid, Parker, thought this whole thing was a game. He, he found a hole, and he hid in a hole, and just laughed while people were desperately, frantically searching for him, while people were worried out of their minds for this kid. I mean, he has hemophilia. You know, you wonder what could have happened if he got injured in the woods. <clears throat> and so, unfortunately for Parker, he was sent home that night. Uh, he couldn't come back. He, he was done. He's actually banned from returning from this camp ever again because of what he did. And it was a sad thing. But sometimes we don't know what effect our actions have on others. We don't know how much people care for us until we hit a crisis in our lives and people show up. We don't, sometimes it might feel like nobody really cares, but then when something happens in our lives, people show up. And for me, I've heard my whole life that God loves me. Uh, God loves me enough to die for me. I've heard, I grew up singing a song in church, Jesus loves me, this I know. And, you know, I might, I, you know, you might have not grown up in church, but you've probably heard that before or an idea that Jesus loves you. 
And I don't know if you're like me, but after a while when you hear that, it can kind of become like white noise in the background of your life. Like it can lose its effect. You know, you ever have a song that you listen to for the first time and you're like, this song is amazing. Like, I love this song. And then you, if you're like me, you listen to it and listen to it and listen to it until it has like no effect on you. Any, anybody else do that or just me? Yeah, you wear songs out. You know, I just like wear songs out and then it's like white noise, lost its effect completely. Bonnie's like, you know, you should really mix it up a little bit with your, with your music. Um, but I do, and, and, and after a while, that music, it kind of loses its effect. And I wonder if we have this, a similar experience with that idea that God loves us. Like, we, yeah, I've heard that before, you know, and it kind of loses its effect, and maybe we become numb to that idea. Because if you believe in the Bible, if you, if you read the Bible, what you see is that God really, really loves us. That he really, really, like, he, he is all in with us, that he's, the whole Bible is about God attempting to find and save his people again and again, that God is intimately involved with his people, and he even goes as far to send his son to come to earth as a baby in order to save the world. And if you take away all the tradition from that, all the, you know, we've, we've also had, you know, years and years of Christmas, but if you take it away and you think about that plan, like, on the outside, that doesn't really seem like a very good plan. To send a baby to save the world. And just a vulnerable baby in a vulnerable position with a world that doesn't even recognize him. I mean, he had his first night in a manger. And so the question that I want to ask today is, could God really be desperate for us? Could God really be desperate for us? And I don't mean like a desperate housewives desperate. Like, he's really needy, and he needs attention and affection. That's not the kind of desperate I'm talking about, just to be clear. Not that I've ever watched that show. I haven't, honestly, okay? I don't know. Um, but I mean desperate in that he's, like, desperately trying to find us, like kids lost in the woods, like that kind of desperate. You know, I think it's hard for us to think this way, because on the flip side, how desperate are we for God? How desperate are we for God? You know, life can be really good, and God can just become an add-on that doesn't really impact our lives all that much. You know, how desperate are we for God? Do we wake up in the morning and say, man, I can't wait to spend time with God today. I can't wait to pray today. I need Him more than ever. Like, do we wake up and feel that way, or is it like, oh yeah, I need to do that at some point? You know, I think most of the time we're cool with waiting. Uh, when it comes to our relationship with God. I want to share what David said in Psalms 42. He said this, you may know this verse. But David said, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, this is David's heart of desperation for God. Like, David is desperate for God. David wants to spend his time with God. David thinks about, when is the next time that I can just be with God? And so there's a desperation for him. But if we don't feel that desperation, maybe it's hard to think that God could actually be that desperate for us. Maybe it's hard to think that God could actually be that desperate for us. But what if it's a situation like we had at camp? What if what if God is like that camp staff desperately looking for this kid and the kid is just like alone in a hole playing games, like happy? What if it's like that situation? 
I want you to just think about the Christmas story for a minute, the story that we come back to year after year. You know, maybe when we think of the Christmas story, we see the beauty of it. You know, we get the nativity scene in our minds where everyone looks perfect, because that's how it really was, really. You know, everyone was perfect in a manger. Um, you know, we think about the joy of it. Maybe we get this peaceful and serene thought, oh, a baby, so cute. You know, if you've ever been to a birth, you know it's really not that cute. Uh, I've been to three. Uh, but if you, the baby's cute. Okay, I'll be honest, the baby's cute. After about 10 minutes, uh, baby's cute, mama's cute, everybody's cute. Uh, you know, if you took all the tradition out of that, doesn't that seem like a desperate move? Like, yeah, I'm going to send God the Son to be with humanity in the form of this little baby. Like, he's going to grow up as a baby. He's going to be completely vulnerable. I'm not even going to put him in, like, a lockdown facility. I'm going to give him to poor parents who have to figure it out. You know, like, that just seems like a bad plan. What would drive God to be so vulnerable? for us? What would, would drive God to, to be so desperate for us? Well, I want to look at John 3, and in John 3, we have a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus who comes to see Jesus, not the baby Jesus, the grown Jesus. He comes to see Jesus in the middle of the night, and he comes in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anybody to really know that he's talking to Jesus. Like, Jesus has never really been a popular figure. He's always been a, like a divisive, polarizing figure. And to the Jewish leaders, he was a polarizing figure. And so Nicodemus had this reputation to uphold. You know, he sat on the Jewish council. He was of high importance. So he waits till night uh, to go talk to Jesus. And he's compelled to talk to Jesus because Jesus is just, like, blowing his mind. He doesn't know how Jesus fits into his religion. Everything that he's learned, he doesn't get it. And so when he meets with Jesus, Jesus tells Nicodemus that if you really want to see God, that you're actually going to have to surrender your religion. That I don't fit into a religious box. That if you actually want to see God, you have to be born again spiritually. Um, it doesn't matter um, all the things that you could do. If you're not reborn spiritually, you won't be able to see God. And so we come to verse 16, which is the most uh, famous verse in all the world. And yes, it was famous before uh, Tim Tebow. It's been famous for a long time. Um, but Jesus tells Nicodemus that there's a reason why he came. And he reveals what actually drove his father to send him in the first place. So if you have your Bibles or to be on our screens, we'll be in John 3:16 through 21. And you could probably all quote the first verse, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his, work, that his works have been carried out in God. So guys, let's start with that all-famous verse. Um, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. So if you look at this, and you've heard this before, what is the motivation for God to do this crazy thing? It says, for God so loved. That word so connects loved to this act of sending his son. He so loved us that he sent his own son, who was most prized above anything else, and that we might believe in him. And so love is this driving force. And that's the truth that we see, is that love moves God to take desperate action for his kids. That God actually loves us desperately enough to send his son to redeem us, to send his son to find us. He, He would do anything to make himself available for us. He doesn't want us to see judgment. He wants us to experience life in him. He doesn't want any of his children to be left in the dark alone. And this love isn't really based on anything more than you just being his kid, his creation. Like, I don't love my kids for any other reason that they're my kids. Like, they, they have my name. They actually kind of look like me, you know, they, a little bit. They, fortunately, they look more like Bonnie than like me. And we praise God for that every day. Um, but but they, they, they kind of look like me. And, you know, I want the best for my kids. I would fight to my dying breath for my kids. And we bear the image of God as his creation. We are his creation, created in his image. And so God has this heart of a loving father whose kids have wandered off. God has this heart of a a loving father who would do anything to bring his kids back home. You know, whose kids choose to, to disown him and go his own way. It doesn't matter. He wants to bring them back home. And he would do anything to make it right. And so he sends his son. He would go to any length to find us just like when we turned the whole camp upside down to find this kid, Parker. But in Luke 15, Jesus illustrates what he's talking about, the love that he's talking about through three stories. And he actually tells these stories back to back to back, just to emphasize this point of how he loves us desperately. The first story you have in Luke 15 is the story of the lost coin, that a woman loses her most valuable coin and she tears her house apart trying to find it. Like, she is not going to let that coin go missing, and so she tears her house apart. And then he tells the story of a shepherd who's willing to leave 99 sheep to go find one that's run off. Like, he doesn't just cut his losses. He doesn't just say, yeah, forget about that one. You know, I've got 99. I'm good. That sheep can do its own thing. No, he runs after this sheep that's got himself caught somewhere to go rescue it, to go bring it home. And of course, the last story is this story of the lost son, a son who, um, a son who uh, shamed his father in every way imaginable, a son who took half of his father's wealth and went out and he, and he partied and spent his time with prostitutes. And even still, the father never stops loving his son. Even so, when he returns, finally, after spending all of his money, after ruining his life, his father embraces him and honors him and throws a party for him. Those stories illustrate this desperate love that God has for us. It's not a love that we take for granted and just just not let affect us and just like create entitlement, but it's a love that we respond to. 
this kind of love, it's hard to imagine because it's so unconditional. It's so different than the love that we've all experienced. Because isn't the way that we love sometimes more conditional? Like if, if people wrong you again and again and again, eventually you kind of stop hanging out with them. Or if, or if one group of friends is, is rude to you, you know, don't you kind of want to move on? You know, we kind of have these like conditional things and, and God's love is so much deeper than our love. And another thing, God has the foresight of a loving father. Um, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad had this, my dad had a few catchphrases growing up, and I'm only going to share them with you in little increments, but one catchphrase, because um, I don't want to hear you saying them is why, no. Um, no, but, but one of my dad's catchphrases was, someday you'll thank me. It was, someday you'll thank me. You know, whenever he had to put his foot down on something, uh, whenever he said no to one of my bad ideas, uh, whenever he didn't let me go to that friend's house, it was, well, someday you'll thank me. You know, and he was right. You know, I mean, it's, it's good. He set boundaries for me. And he wasn't, he didn't use it all the time, okay, but, but he did use it sometimes. And if our parents have a little more foresight than us, think about how much more foresight God has over our lives. And in verse 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God, this is an important uh, verse for us. God did not send his Son to condemn us. It wasn't a big condemnation parade where Jesus went around saying, Woe to everyone. He came to save us. It was a rescue mission. Jesus came to save us. Because in this verse, doesn't Jesus seem to be addressing a fear that we have? Don't we feel like God is out to condemn us sometimes? You know, Jesus saying, no, I, I am not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. You know, and maybe deep down we have this fear that when we come to God, he'll reject us or he won't receive us. Maybe we look at our lives and, and the chances we've had and the things that we've done wrong and we think, how could God ever accept me? But what would it change for you if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus came to save you and not condemn you? What would that change for you? Because I think sometimes we're quick to condemn ourselves, right? We're quick to condemn ourselves. We make a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. This week, I made a lot of mistakes. I said things I shouldn't have. Um, I, you know, I stayed up way too late this week, you know, just trusting in my own strength to get through this week instead of trusting in God's strength. I was tired all week. And um, over our lives, you know, we have some things that we look back and we regret. You know, I don't think it's true that, like, you can live life with no regrets, okay? I just don't, I don't buy that. I think we do have regrets for how we've treated other people in the past. Or things that we were really passionate about that didn't amount to much. Um, or something that took over our lives, like an addiction or something like that. We have, we carry these regrets. And when I veer off course, I'm tempted to think, man, that's probably it. Like, God must be done with me. But he never is, and 35 years into him working on my mistakes, I can say, I think God is trying to save me, not condemn me. I mean, if God was trying to condemn me, don't you think he'd be done? Or if God was trying to condemn you, don't you think he'd be done? But he isn't. He's working on you. It's a process. He, he's working to save you. And see, in verse 18, Jesus draws a hard line. 
He shows an urgency of this search. He shows why God is so desperate to save us. He says, uh, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What he's saying is people don't know where they stand with me. People don't know where they stand with God. People don't know the effect of their sin. And if somebody doesn't tell them, they're not going to know. If I don't reach out, they're not going to know. And so he sends Jesus to let them know, without me, you're facing punishment. You're facing judgment. And so he sends Jesus because there is this death sentence that we all need to be released from. And in spite of God's desperate search, you know, in spite of this, in spite of all of this, in spite of all of the effort, the choice is still ours. We can still say no thanks. You know, we can still treat God like an unwanted solicitor at the door, and you know when you, they show up, you're like, oh man, no, not today. And you just say, I, I want to go back to what I'm doing, sorry. You know, we can treat him like that, and um, we could debate this morning, too, whether, you know, people are inherently good or inherently evil. But what the Bible says is we all have evil in our lives that we need to account for. It's not that we can't do anything good, but we all have things that we need to reconcile with God. We all have a, a heart problem that needs to be healed, and only God can heal it. But are we willing to be honest about our need for God? Jesus says in 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So here we come back to this idea that Jesus is the light in the dark world. Jesus is a light in the dark world, and people living in darkness have the opportunity, but it's a choice, and it's your choice whether or not to accept that life. We all have a choice of what we will actually love. And just because Jesus is the light of the world doesn't mean that we have to accept him. Uh, Matthew Henry, who is an English minister back in the 18th century, he said this. He said this about why people would hate the light. He said, people hate the light because it robs them of the good opinion they had of themselves. That we want to think we're good. We really do. We want to think we're good. We want to think our intentions are good and right, but still at a soul level, there's something that we need to have fixed and only Jesus can fix it. Jesus is saying without him, there is disaster ahead. We need his grace to cover us. So the question is, Jesus came to find you, but do you want to be found? Do you want to be found? Do you want to not play a game in a hole somewhere, but do you want to come out of hiding and live in the light? Are you willing to let the light in? Because there's freedom in the light. In the dark, we're fumbling around. We don't really know what we're doing. We're just trying to do the best we can. We walk really slow, you know? If you've ever been in a dark space, you know, a confined dark space, you know, all you claustrophobic people, that's like your biggest fear. Um, but there's a couple things that the light calls us to. There's a couple things. The first is repentance. There's a certain repentance that's a continual repentance. As we grow with God, he continues to reveal things in our lives that he wants us to work on, that he wants us to give to him. You know, whether it's our ego or vices or idols in our lives, the light reveals the things that are taking us away from a love of God. And the second is there's a purpose to the light. The light shows us our purpose. The light shows us what we're supposed to be doing. In 
in the light we find out what we were made for. And uh, one thing this week, as I was reading through the New Testament, I realized um, it, I realized there's a lot of one another passages in Scripture, and I looked it up. There's actually 59 passages in the New Testament where they use this phrase, one another. And so much of our calling is about loving each other in the world around us. Um, like, be devoted to each other, honor each other, live in harmony with one another, build one another up. There's all these one another passages. So much of our purpose has to do with loving each other, loving others. And the light shows us how to do that. The light shows us how to love like Jesus, how to love our spouse like Jesus, how to love our kids like Jesus, how to love our city and our church like Jesus. And if you are walking in the light, you're growing in all of these things. And our main purpose is to continue this rescue mission that God started. Because if God is desperately trying to save people, shouldn't we be as well? If God's desperately trying to shine light so others can see it, shouldn't we be trying to shine that light as well? I want to share this last verse. Um, right before John 3.16, Jesus says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus brings Nicodemus back to this story that Nicodemus knew pretty well because he taught the Jewish law. It was this story of where Moses was in the desert with the Israelites. And um, Moses, or there was complaining going on in the Israelite camp, and they were just complaining and complaining, and they were ready to ditch this plan that God had for them. And so God sends these fiery serpents that bit and poisoned people, and many were dying. But God told Moses, take this bronze snake, put it on a stake, and put it in the ground so that when people see this see this snake, they can look up and they can be healed. And Jesus takes that and he says, you know what, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And when people look at me, they will be saved. When people look to me, they will be saved. That I'd be, I would have nails in my hands and my feet. That I would die and that when people look to the cross, that they would be saved. They'd be healed. They'd be made whole. And so the reason why we're here really is not because we like each other so much. We really do. I mean, we really do like each other a lot. Um, or that we needed something to do, we, although we had a lot of people doing stuff this week. Um, but the real reason we're at church is because we want to lift Jesus up high. We want to lift up Jesus high so that people can see him. And so I believe that the purpose, the reason why we're in this building is to do just that is to show people what, who the light really is. Because we can't change anything apart from Jesus. Like, we can't, we can't change anyone. I can't change anybody's heart, but I know who can. I know who can, and it's Jesus. And so we're a community that's led by Jesus. We, we're working for his kingdom. We've had this catchphrase since the beginning. In Blaine, as it is in heaven, that's what we want to see. We want to see his kingdom happen here. We want to see his love spread through our community. And that doesn't mean we're always going to get it right, but we want to be faithful to this mission of lifting Jesus high for all to see. And here's the whole point this morning, and the band actually can come on up. But the, the point of all of it is this. Jesus is the searchlight that saves us and that we also lift up for others to see. 
Jesus came and shines as a searchlight to save us and that we also lift up for others to see. So there's two questions there. The first question is, are your eyes on Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on him? Have you found security and safety in what he's done for you? And then the second question, are you desperate for those who haven't yet? Are you desperate for those who haven't yet, who need to see the light? Are you willing to hold Jesus up for others to see? My favorite verse in all of scripture is 1 John 4:19. It just says, we love because he first loved us. It's easy to love when you are loved. You can't, you can't spread something that you haven't experienced. And so for us, it starts with experiencing that love of Jesus for ourselves. And then out of the overflow of that, extending out and loving other people. So I want to encourage you this week to know that you are incredibly loved by God. You are incredibly loved by God. And if you've kind of wandered a little bit, know that he wants you home. That he's not there ready to point a finger. He's ready to embrace you if you would come home. So I want to encourage you not to wait on that, but come today. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, sometimes it's hard to get our heads and hearts around this idea that you love us. Sometimes it's hard to get our heads and hearts around this idea that you would be willing to send your son, Jesus, that Jesus, you'd be willing to die for us on a cross, that you'd, you'd be willing to, to reach out and love us. And sometimes that, that escapes our grasp mentally and, and spiritually. But I pray that today that you would make that really, really known in our hearts, God, that we would really, really know that you love us. More than anything else today, God, if we could take away one thing, would people just know that you love them, God, that you love us, God, as your kids, that no matter what happens, you're never going to stop loving your kids. You are always going to be waiting for them to return. And so, God, would you just put that on our hearts this morning, God? Lord, we are thankful for your love, God. We, we don't deserve it, but it's there. And your heart is for us, and you shape who we are. So God, we praise you. We thank you, God. We want to want you. We want to be desperate for you, God. Show us how. In Jesus' name, amen.